نعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يد من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness, and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray, and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. And I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone, and that He has no partners or associates, and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam It is slave servant and his messenger. We'd like to continue in this lecture number eight from Al-Ma'rifa fi Ulum al-Hadith or an introduction to the science of Hadith by Sheikh Suhaib Hassan Abdul Ghafoor Hafidhullah, may Allah protect and preserve him. Uh, in this brief essay in which he has attempted to lay out the most important branches or classifications or divisions of hadith as found in the classical books of the scholars of the past and as well in those books that are written by the scholars in our time. And he has attempted to simplify these classifications uh, by giving brief definitions, examples and some of the comments of the scholars with references to the places or the sources from which he took his definitions and comments. In the previous lecture number seven, we talked about uh, hadith or classification of hadith according to the manner in which the hadith is reported. And the Shaykh mentioned that hadith are reported in different ways such as using various expressions like haddathana, he narrated to us Akhbarana, he informed us. Sami'atu, I heard an an on the authority of. And there are other expressions that are also used likewise. And the important thing that we talked about last week was that these various ways of narrating the hadith indicate the manner in which the hadith was received by the reporter who narrates it. How did he receive it from his teacher, from his shaykh? Did he hear it directly from him, uh, the teacher was reading the hadith, or a student was reading the hadith while the teacher was listening, and so on? Or, what is even more important, is it possible that the type of expression used by the narrator might indicate the possibility that he didn't hear the hadith from the one who he is reporting from, Uh, directly and he may have heard it through a third party and this is what we talked about in the and in the most of the lecture last week those narrators who committed at least that is narrating a hadith from a scholar either who they heard some hadith from but they didn't hear that particular hadith or a scholar in whose time they lived but they didn't hear hadith from him or they didn't meet him or they narrated from their shaykh but they used other names 
refer to their shaykh in order to hide his identity. And we said that this tadlis linguistically or the person who does it, mudallis, linguistically it is derived from the word tadlis which means hiding a defect of a product from a purchaser. Yani when somebody wants to sell something and they hide its defects in order that the person may not be turned away from buying it. Technically, mudallas or at least it means hiding the defect in the chain of narrators to improve its appearance. Yani to give the hadith or the chain of narrators the appearance of being authentic, while in fact there may be some defect. We said also that the divisions or the major divisions of tadlis are two. Tadlis al-isnad, yani tadlis related to the isnad or the chain of narrators, the senate, and tadlis al-shuyuk or tadlis that is related to the teachers, the shuyuk that the person narrates from. And each of these uh, types of tadlis have uh, its importance. Tadlis al-Isnad is of great importance because it means that the person who narrates from uh, his sheikh a hadith which he didn't really hear from him, but he heard from another person who heard it from that sheikh, it means that he has deleted someone from the chain of narrators. And without knowing who that person is, we cannot really determine whether or not the hadith is authentic. So it's important when someone uh, performs tadlis, that is, they narrate from a sheikh who they really didn't hear the hadith from directly, it's important for us to keep in mind that someone has been deleted from the chain of narrators, and this is the cause of considering the hadith to be weak, not knowing the reliability of the person who has been deleted. As for tadlis, a shuyukh, in which the person doesn't give a clear identity of his shaykh, he doesn't make it clear who his shaykh is, by using other names that he may not be well known by, uh, this type of tadlis is uh, less harmful and is not considered to be as dangerous, but if the reason why he hides the identity of his sheikh is because his sheikh is not a reliable reporter, then it becomes equally dangerous to the one who deletes someone from the isnad, and we don't know who he is. Under the type of tadlis, tadlis al-isnad, we also said there was another type of tadlis called tadlis al-taswiyah, and this is the most dangerous type of tadlis because it involves uh, deleting a narrator from the chain and that narrator is a weak, unreliable reporter. It means that the narrator doesn't hide the identity of his sheikh, nor does he delete his sheikh, but he deletes another reporter between his sheikh and uh, someone further down the line. So in between his sheikh and the next person, the third person in the chain, he deletes someone and that person is an unreliable reporter for sure. The reason why this type of tadlis is the most serious is because it is, it involves, uh, it involves deleting a weak reporter between two reliable reporters. And if two reliable reporters have in between them a weak reporter. If you delete the weak person, the chain of narrative looks authentic. 
it looks authentic. So this is why it's very dangerous because when anyone sees it, especially when those two reliable reporters either met one another or lived in the same time, which gives the appearance that in fact that one has really narrated from the other one uh, and no one would suspect that there was someone in between and since both of them are reliable, the hadith would naturally be declared authentic while in fact it is unauthentic due to the narrator that has been deleted in between the two reliable reporters who is weak. So these are the types of uh, tadlis that we discussed last week and we also talked about uh, al-musalsal, yani a hadith uh, in which the chain of narrators in that hadith all said or did something or was described in a similar fashion. And yani they each narrated the hadith with the same words such as haddathani or akhbarani or something like this. Each one narrated with the same words. That means it's a chain of similar words being used in the reporting of the hadith. Or each of them performed a certain action when they narrated the hadith such as holding the person's beard or clasping their hands together each one did the same action that his shaykh did when he reported it to him and so on yani the silsila or the chain it means that each one of the narrators either used the same words or performed the same action or were described in a similar fashion uh, on down the line and this is called musalsal in any case the most important of these two classifications which we discussed last week is the first one at Tadlis because it definitely has an effect on the acceptability or the reliability of the hadith and it has a great effect on the classification or determining whether the hadith is authentic or not because as we know whenever any narrator has been deleted from a hadith and we discussed a number of types of hadith where someone is deleted the mursal hadith where a narrator is deleted after the tabi who reports directly from the Prophet uh, the Mu'allaq hadith where the, the collector of the hadith such as Al-Bukhari or Muslim deletes his shaykh or his shaykh and his shaykh's shaykh or any number of people until he only narrates the beginning of the chain from the tabi or sahabi or directly from the Prophet and also we talked about Mu'adal where two consecutive narratives are deleted and so on at Tadlis or the Mudallis, he also deletes someone in the type of Tadlis which is Tadlis al-Shuyukh or Tadlis al-Isnad. So it is also a type of broken chain, Munqatiya, like those previous classifications. And all of them are normally classified as weak hadith due to the fact that when any narrator has been deleted, we cannot determine the reliability of that person and therefore we take precautions to protect the deen and to protect the sharia and therefore that hadith will be rejected because of the possibility that a person may not be a reliable reporter. So the most important of the classifications that we discussed last week was at Tadlis, especially Tadlis al-Isnad where a narrator has been deleted from the chain. Today we want to go on to the next classification that Sheikh Suhaib has mentioned in his essay uh, classification number five classification of hadith according to the nature of the text and isnad according to the nature of the metin the words that are reported in the hadith <coughs> and the nature of the isnad the chain of narrators 
before discussing these two types of hadith or three types of hadith which he mentions Shaz and Munkar and Mudraj before discussing these three types of hadith just to put things in focus I want to mention that hadith are divided into two main categories hadith which are accepted and hadith which are rejected hadith which are accepted are the Sahih or Hasan and hadith which are rejected are the Da'if and sometimes we also refer to the Mawdu' or fabricated hadith although Mawdu' hadith is not really a hadith Mawdu' is something that's fabricated, it's a lie whereas a weak hadith it is classified as a hadith but it's questionable its authenticity is questionable or the accuracy of the report may be questionable there may be some mistake in the wording etc so it's classified as weak uh, also besides these two classifications into hadith which are accepted or hadith which are rejected if we look at hadith which are rejected there are two primary general reasons why hadith are rejected and we talked about this briefly in the introductory lectures but I, I just want to refresh our memory so that the discussion from here becomes more clear to us hadith are rejected primarily for two reasons either because of a criticism of the narrator himself the narrator has been criticized as being a liar or having a weak memory or some defect in his any transmission of the hadith the, the defect is in the narrator himself this is one of the primary reasons why hadith will be rejected the other reason for hadith to be rejected is because a chain or a, a narrator in the chain or more than one narrator has been deleted or missing so there are two primary reasons why hadith would be rejected one we know the narrator but he has a defect there's some yeah, any criticism of the narrator himself or the other one the chain has a missing link or more than one missing link and therefore we don't know that the narrator who is missing or those who are missing are they reliable or not missing links in the chain we talked about previously I think most of them we talked about Mu'allaq, Mursal, Mu'adal, Munqatiya and, and recently in the last lecture we talked about Mudallis or Mudallas the hadith is called Mudallas and the one who does it is called Mudallis all of these are classifications of hadith as being weak because of breaks in the chain because of someone being missing in the chain today we want to talk about and in the next lectures some of the classifications of hadith <coughs> which are classified as weak due to a criticism of the narrator himself yani there's no one missing in the chain but the narrator or, or more than one of the narrators has some criticism of him and those types of hadith are also many the worst of them is hadith mawdu'a or fabricated falsified hadith the next one in order of severity after mawdu'a less severe is matruq matruq <coughs> the one in which there is a reporter who has been accused of lying and it hasn't been confirmed that he lied on the Prophet ﷺ, but he has been accused of lying that hadith is called matruq and it is the most severe after the fabricated hadith and a hadith is called matruq it is the most severe criticism outside of the actually well-known fabricated hadith after that is munkar the hadith which is munkar and 
Munkar is one of the types of hadith which, which, which we will talk about this evening. And then Ma'alul or Mu'allal, the hadith which have illa, hidden uh, defects which affect the authenticity of the hadith. And the reasons or the types of hidden defects are many from amongst them. Uh, what we'll discuss in the next week, the types of hidden defects. But let me just say here that uh, the important thing about hidden defects in the hadith is that normally those defects are not detectable except by the most meticulous and knowledgeable of scholars who are able to collect the various chains of narratives and various narrations and compare them in order to detect that there was some mistake here that is not easily detectable. Also of the classifications of weak hadith which are due to a defect in the reporter is mudraj and mudraj is one of the types of hadith which we are going to talk about tonight and where someone adds something to the chain of narrative as a narrator or adds something to the text of the hadith words that are not really from the Prophet and also we will talk about perhaps in the next week maqloob where something has been turned around or upside down either the name of the narrators or the order of the narrators or the words in the hadith itself or a hadith uh, one text metan has been placed on a different isnad not the real chain of narratives that belongs to it or the opposite uh, and also from amongst those types of weak hadith which we will talk about tonight is a shaz a shaz and it is also a type of hadith which appears on the surface to be authentic but after examination it is found that it is rejected due to a contradiction of the narrator who is a reliable narrator but who is contradicted by someone or those who are more reliable than him in any case the important thing is that the classifications which we are going to talk about tonight and in the next lectures are dealing with criticisms of the reporters themselves whereas the previous uh, types of weak hadith were due to a defect in the chain, a break in the chain, whether it was in the beginning or in the middle or in the end or in more than one place. The previous ones we talked about were related to breaks in the chain and what we are going to talk about tonight and in the next couple of lectures are those uh, classifications of weak hadith due to a defect in the narrator himself. Uh, the Shaykh begins by talking about two classifications of hadith, Shaz and Munkar. Shaz and Munkar. He says on page 24, I don't know, what page is it? Does anybody have the new edition of the book? 24 also? Same page? Okay. Uh, he says, according to Al-Shafi'i, Al-Imam Al-Shafi'i, Rahimahullah, a Shaz, which he translates as irregular hadith is one which is reported by a trustworthy person but it goes against the narration of a person more reliable than him uh, here the hadith has been reported by a narrator who is thicker or 
a, a narrator who may not be of the highest level of thiqa, but maybe he is maqbul, a, an acceptable narrator. And normally his hadith would be accepted. It would be classified as sahih or hasan. But in this case, what he narrates is in contradiction to another narrator who is more reliable than him. Who is more reliable than him. So when there is a contradiction, we, take, we accept the report of the more reliable narrator. And we reject the one who is less reliable. This is one of the definitions of ashad, and perhaps it's the most yani, commonly used definition for this type of hadith. Here, Sheikh Hassan says, Sheikh Suhaib Hassan says, this classification of shad, it does not include a hadith which is unique in its contents and is not narrated by someone else. And the reason why he says this is because some of the scholars gave this as the definition of shad, a hadith which is unique in its contents, meaning it hasn't been narrated by someone else. It has only been narrated by one person, and no one else narrated that metin, that text. Some of the scholars called this type of hadith shad, and a hadith that one person reported, and it has not been reported by others, so they called it shad. But here, a Shafi says, no, this is not the correct defini de definition of Shaz, but the correct definition of Shaz is the hadith or the report which is reported by a trustworthy person in contradiction to one who is more trustworthy or more reliable than him. Uh, in light of this definition, the well-known hadith, إِنَّمَا الْعَمَالُ بِالنِّيَاتِ The hadith of Umar ibn al-Khattab that's reported on Bukhari and Muslim, in light of the definition of a shafi this hadith, actions are judged according to intentions, is not considered shaf. Even though Umar was the only one who reported it. And from Umar on down the line it was reported for three generations by a single person. Or not three generations, but three and three chains, or three levels of the chain, it was reported by one person. And only uh, further down the line it was reported by others. According to the second definition, which Shafi rejects, this hadith would be classified as Shaf because it was only reported by one person. But Shafi says that's not the correct definition, and therefore the Sheikh says, according to Shafi's definition, in the Malamal bin Niyat would not be classified or considered Shaf, since it has been narrated by Yahya ibn Sa'id al Ansari, from Muhammad ibn Ibrahim al Taymi, from Al Qama from Umar radiallahu anhu, all of whom are trustworthy authorities, although each one of them is the only reporter at that stage. So we see here that there are two definitions for Shaz. Uh, the more correct definition that the Shaykh mentions here is the one where a trustworthy, reliable, acceptable reporter contradicts someone who is more acceptable or more reliable than him. Therefore, we accept the more reliable report and we, we reject that one, even though he's normally trustworthy, but we reject his report. An example of a shad hadith, according to some scholars, is the one which Abu Dawood and At-Tirmidhi transmit through the following isnad, through the following chain of narratives. Abdul Wahid ibn Ziyad an al-A'mash and you see it's only a single broken line and he said in the introduction that whenever there's a single broken line it means that an expression such as an has been used which is not necessarily the strongest way of narrating hadith from Amash 
from Abu Salih, from Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, who said, when one of you offers the two rakat before the dawn prayer, he should lie down on his right side. Note, in this hadith, lying down on the right side after offering two rakat sunnah of the fajr prayer. It is stated in this hadith as a saying of the Prophet ﷺ, that the Prophet ﷺ said, when one of you offers the two rakah before the dawn prayer, meaning the two rakah sunnah of the fajr prayer, he should lie down on his right side. Perhaps this is a sunnah that's unknown to most of the people. <laughs> but in any case, this one, in this report from Abdul Wahid, Ibn Ziyad from Amash from Abu Salih from Abu Huraira is reported as a statement of the Prophet that he said you should do so. Al-Bayhaqi, the great scholar of Hadith Al-Bayhaqi says, Abdul Wahid or Abdul Wahid has gone against a large number of people with this narration. Yani he has contradicted a large number of other narrators. For they have reported the above as an act of the Prophet and not as his saying. Yani the other people reported a similar meaning, but they reported that the Prophet laid down on his right side after he prayed the two rakah sunnahs of fajr, that he laid down on his right side, that he did it, it was his action. Whereas in the first narration, it's reported that he said you should do it. Okay, one is reported as a statement, the other one is reported as an action, and there's a difference between the sayings and the actions, especially if in fact the Prophet ﷺ did it, but he didn't say it, then it makes a difference in the ruling concerning that particular sunnah. Because the sayings of the Prophet ﷺ are generally accepted for the whole of the ummah, whereas his actions, some of them are exclusively for him, not for everybody. Some things he did, he didn't tell the people to do it. And some things he did are not lawful for the other people to do, such as continuous fasting without breaking the fast and marrying more than four wives and so on. So there's a difference between the ruling of an action of the Prophet and a statement of the Prophet And here he's making a distinction, Al-Bayhaqi is making a distinction that the first way it was reported was as a saying in contradiction to a large number of other reporters who reported it as an action of the Prophet and not as a saying. Abdul Wahid is alone amongst the trustworthy students of Al-A'mash in narrating these words. Yani, he was a trustworthy reporter. But he was the only one of the trustworthy students of Al-A'mash who reported it in this way as a statement. And the rest of the students of Al-A'mash who were reliable narrators reported it as an action of the Prophet wasallam. So this is an example of a trustworthy reporter. Normally we accept his report. But he contradicts somebody who's more reliable or a large group of reliable reporters. So their report outweighs his report. So we reject his report and we accept the report of the more reliable one or the group of reliable people. This is the definition of a shad according to a shafi. This is an example of the definition of shad according to al-imam al-shafi rahimahullah. Yani a trustworthy reporter reports something but it is contradicted by someone or a group who are more reliable than him. Therefore, his hadith, which normally it would have been considered as reliable and acceptable and authentic, now we classify it as shaz, meaning that it's rejected. It is rejected. Yani maybe it fills all of the other conditions for hadith sahih. 
the five conditions for hadith sahih is that it should have a complete chain, no break in it. And the reporters, every one of them, should be people of good memory, accurate in, memor in reporting, and of good character. The reporters should be of good memory and of good character. And a, a complete chain with no break or no one missing in it. But there, these are the three first conditions. There are two more conditions. One of them is that it shouldn't be shaz. And this condition is missing here. And it shouldn't be ma'lul. It shouldn't have a hidden defect. If all these five conditions are there, we say the hadith is sahih. If any one of them is missing, then it will not be sahih. And here, this hadith is not sahih, it is shaz. Because it has one of the conditions missing. Yani, it is, there is a contradiction of one of the reporters who is a reliable reporter, but he is contradicted by someone who is more reliable than him. This is Shaz. Munkar, a Munkar hadith is somewhat similar to Shaz, but a little different. Shaz, it is, a it is narrated by a reliable reporter who is contradicted by someone more reliable than him, and Munkar is a weak reporter who is contradicted by someone more reliable than him. A weak reporter. So the difference between Shaz and Munkar, Shaz, the reporter whose report is rejected, he is normally a reliable reporter, but somebody more reliable than him contradicts him. Whereas in the Munkar hadith, which we are about to discuss now, it is a weak reporter. And he is contradicted by reliable reporters. Not only is he contradicted, but he himself is a weak reporter. According to Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani, if a narration which goes against another authentic hadith is reported by a weak narrator, weak narrator, it is known as munkar, denounced or rejected. Traditionists, yani scholars of hadith, as late as Ahmed, used to simply label any hadith of a weak reporter as munkar. Yani this is another definition of munkar. Here he's given another definition. The first definition is the more common definition that a weak reporter is contradicted by a reliable reporter. Now he gives another definition. He says that some of the scholars of hadith, as late as Imam Ahmed rahimahullah, used to simply label any hadith of a weak reporter as munkar. And any hadith which, which has in the chain a weak reporter, they used to label it as munkar. But the first definition of munkar, not only is the narrator weak, but he's also contradicted. And what he reports, he's contradicted by somebody who's reliable. So there are two points here. The narrator is weak and he's contradicted by a strong reporter. Whereas the second definition, any weak reporter, da'if reporter, his hadith will classify as munkar. Sometimes the hadith is labeled as munkar because of its contents being contrary to the general sayings of the Prophet And this is a third definition. A third definition for munkar is the contents, the metin, the meaning that is transmitted in the hadith, in the text of the hadith, is contrary to the general sayings of the Prophet or the general rules or principles in Islam. And those things that are well known, established in Islam, if, a, if somebody narrates a hadith which contradicts that, the general fundamental principles of Islam, then this is also classified as munkar, a hadith munkar. Without consideration of whether or not somebody, another report contradicts it, or the narrator himself is weak or not, without consideration of that, whenever we see a hadith being reported and it contradicts what is well known in Islam, if, for example we know it's well known in Islam, 
that one of the pillars of Islam is the five obligatory prayers. Five obligatory prayers. Everybody knows this. There's no doubt about it. If somebody narrated a hadith, for example, contradicting this, saying that the obligatory prayers in a day are four, or three, or two, or one, or anything else, then without looking at the isnad, we don't need to look at the isnad. Because the meaning of the hadith is contradicted by what is well known in Islam, it's automatically rejected. And this is the third definition for munkar. Yani, sometimes the hadith is labeled munkar because of its contents, because of its contents being contrary to the general sayings of the Prophet or the general principles in Islam, or that which is known in the Sharia. Al-Khatib, meaning Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi, died in the year 463, quotes Al-Rabiya ibn Khaytham, who died in the year 63, as saying, Some ahadith have a light, like that of day, which we recognize. Others have a darkness, like that of night, which makes us reject them. Here he means that there are some hadith when the scholars, the well-known scholars of hadith, when they heard that hadith, it is as though the hadith has a light, which even without looking at the isnad, they can determine that that hadith is an acceptable hadith. It is acceptable to them. They know that it is from the Prophet ﷺ. They recognize it, they acknowledge it, and they accept it. While other hadith, when they hear it, it has a darkness, like that of the night, which causes them to reject it, to reject it, to denounce it. Yani even without looking at the isnad, the great scholars of hadith, they can hear the, the words of the hadith and say, this cannot be from the Prophet ﷺ. Here he used the word munkar and ma'roof, yani that they uh, make inkar on the hadith. From the meaning of it, they rejected it. Or from the meaning of the hadith, they accepted it. So this was uh, mentioned by Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi as a quote from Al-Rabiya al-Khaytham that some hadith, the meaning of it, the text of it, it has a light which makes us to recognize and accept it. Yani it's clearly from the deen of Islam. And some, they have a darkness that are contrary to what we know to be Islam and therefore it is rejected. This is related to the third meaning of munkar, a hadith whose meaning contradicts what is well known in Islam. Whether the well known things of the Prophet or the Sharia or whatever. He also quotes, that is Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi also quotes Al-Awza'i who died in year 157, one of the great scholars of fiqh, one of the imams of fiqh. He quotes Al-Awza'i rahimahullah is saying, we used to listen to a hadith and present them to fellow traditionists, yani to the other scholars of hadith, just as we present forged coins to money changes. Whatever they recognize, yani whatever they see as being really from being correct and accepted, uh, we accept. And whatever they reject of them, we also reject. Yani here Al-Awza'i is saying that the scholars of hadith, the great scholars of hadith, we can give them a hadith and from the text of it, from its meaning, they can determine whether or not it should be accepted or rejected. Just as you can give forged money to the people who are experts in money, who know forgery. They can identify a forged dollar bill or a forged coin. They can recognize it because they're experts in this. So also the scholars of hadith were experts in recognizing the authentic and distinguish, distinguishing them from the unauthentic hadith which have been attributed to the Prophet 
This statement is also related to the third definition of munkar, meaning the content, the metin of the hadith is contradictory to that which is well known in Islam. Then the Shaykh says, Ibn Kathir quotes the following two hadith, Al-Hafid Ibn Kathir rahimahullah quotes the following two hadith in his tafsir, the first of which is acceptable, whereas the second contradicts it and is unreliable. And if this is an example here, where Ibn Kathir makes a distinction between two similarly reported hadith. Based on the metin, the text of the hadith, he accepted one of them and rejected the other one. Although the meaning of the hadith are similar, but there is a difference between them, and he looked at it because there is a contradiction between them. He was able, or he was, and he made a distinction between one and the other, and he classified one of those hadith as munkar, the second one as munkar, because it contradicted the first one which was stronger. The first narration is from Imam Ahmed, from Abu Muawiyah, from Hisham ibn Urwa, from Fatima bint al-Munzir, from Asma bint Abi Bakr radiallahu anha, who said, my mother, Asma, the sister of Aisha, the daughter of Abu Bakr Sadiq, Asma radiallahu anha said, my mother came to Medina during the treaty Quraysh had made. Yani at the time when the Quraysh had made a treaty with the Prophet while she was still a polytheist, she was a mushrik. Her mother was still a mushrik. She had not become a Muslim at that time. The mother of Asma. Whereas the mother of Aisha, yani Abu Bakr Sadiq had more than one wife. The mother of Aisha was different than the mother of Asma. Asma's mother hadn't become a Muslim, whereas Aisha's mother had entered Islam. So Asma said her mother came to visit her during the time of the treaty with Quraysh while she was still a polytheist. So I came to the Prophet ﷺ and said to him, O Messenger of Allah, my mother has come willingly. Should I treat her with kindness? He replied, yes, treat her with kindness. This, this narration is the authentic one and it was accepted by Al-Hafiz ibn Kathir as being acceptable. The second narration is reported by Al-Bazzar in his Musnad from Abdullah ibn Shabib, from Abu Bakr ibn Abi Shaiba, from Abu Khatada al-Adawi, from the nephew of Al-Zuhri, from Al-Zuhri, yani his nephew narrated from him, from Urwa, from Aisha and Asma, from two people, from who? From Aisha and Asma, radiallahu anhuma, may Allah be pleased with both of them. Both of whom said, in this report, it is reported that Aisha and Asma both said, our mother came to us in Medina while she was a polytheist. During the peace treaty between the Quraysh and the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu the treaty between the Quraysh and the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu So we said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, our mother has come to Medina willingly. Do we treat her kindly? He said, yes, treat her kindly. If you look at these two narrations, they both seem to be almost exactly the same. The only difference is in the first one, it is reported from Asma. She said that my mother came and so on. In the second one, it's reported from Aisha and Asma, both of whom said our mother came to Medina and the rest of the hadith is the same. Ibn Kathir then remarks, this later hadith, the latter hadith, the second one, to our knowledge is reported only through this route. 
Yani only through this chain of narratives. Az-Zuhri from Urwa from Aisha. It is a munkar hadith with this text. Yani this particular wording that came in the second one is munkar. Because the mother of Aisha is Umm Ruman, who was already a Muslim immigrant. She was a muhajirah. She had made hijrah from Mecca to Medina as a Muslimah, as a Muslim woman. The mother of Aisha. While the mother of Asma, radiallahu anha, was another woman, as mentioned by name in other hadith. So here, Al-Hafiz ibn Kathir rejected the second narration because of the text of the hadith being munkar. The text of the hadith, it had a meaning that was unacceptable. Yani how could it be that Aisha anha, and Asma anha, said that our mother, when their mothers were separate, were different women. And they said our mother came to Medina as a mushrik. When Aisha's mother had came to Medina as a muhajira, an immigrant who migrated from Mecca to Medina as a Muslim woman. And Asma's mother was, on the contrary, not yet entered into Islam. So here, by looking at the text of the hadith, Al-Hafiz ibn Kathir rejected the hadith due to the meaning in the text that was unacceptable. So whenever a hadith contains a meaning that is unacceptable, then it is, according to the third definition mentioned here, it is considered as munkar. In contrast to a munkar hadith, now, the shaykh now is talking about a different type of hadith. Okay, in any case, as far as Munkar is concerned, he gave us three definitions. The first one is the most important one. It is a, a weak reporter being contradicted by a reliable reporter. This is the main definition. Although, any weak reporter who narrates a hadith, some of the scholars classify that also as Munkar. And another type of Munkar is the last one which we discussed, when the text of the hadith is not acceptable. In contrast to a munkar hadith, if a reliable reporter is found to add something which is not narrated by other authentic sources, the addition is accepted as long as it does not contradict them. Actually, this is another type of hadith, another classification, ziyadat al-thiqa, and that which has been reported in addition or above and beyond what was reported by other narrators. But this additional information is reported by a reliable reporter. So here he says, uh, if a reliable reporter is found to add something which is not narrated by other authentic sources, this addition is accepted as long as it does not contradict them. If it contradicts them, then it will be considered as munkar. Or if it's a reliable reporter, it will be considered as shaz. If it's a weak reporter, it will be considered as munkar. But if there is no contradiction between what the narrator is reporting, he is a reliable reporter and he adds something that the others didn't mention, but there is no contradiction between what he mentioned and what they mentioned, then his hadith can be accepted. And this is known as ziyadat al-thiqa, an addition by one who is trustworthy. An example is the hadith of al-Bukhari and Muslim on the authority of Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, he said, I asked the Messenger of Allah وسلم, which action is most virtuous and what is the best action that one may do. And the Prophet وسلم, said, the prayer at its due time. As-salat ala waqtiha or as-salat fi waqtiha. Yani to perform the prayer in its due time, this is the best action that a person can do. Two of the narrators or two reporters, Al-Hasan ibn Makhdam 
and Al-Bandar, or Bandar, reported it with the additional words at the beginning of its time, في أول وقتها. يعني, there were two narrators from all the people who narrated this hadith, there were two narrators who said, instead of the prayer on its time, they said the prayer at the beginning of its time. At the beginning of its time. Actually, if you examine this, there's no contradiction between saying praying on time and praying in the beginning of its time. It's not a contradiction. Because uh, in the beginning of its time, it's on time. It's not uh, other than that. So it's only specified it or يعني, gave it more clarity to the meaning of on time. Now the meaning of on time, the best time for the prayer is in the beginning of its time. Not to delay it. Although it's permissible as long as it's within the bounds uh, of the, that prayer up until the next one. But actually the preferable time for the prayer is in the beginning of its time. So when the Prophet ﷺ said the prayer on time, in this second report by the other reporters, they said that he said in the beginning of his time, which clarifies. It clarifies the first narr- narration and doesn't contradict it. Both Al-Hakim, Al-Hakim in his book Al-Mustadraq and Ibn Hibban, in his book Al-Sahih, declared this edition to be Sahih. They declared it to be authentic. But this edition was authentic even though it was additional information that wasn't reported by the other narrators. But, it was, but it's reported by a thicker, reliable narrator, and it doesn't contradict what the others reported, therefore it's acceptable. Actually, we studied this rule, or that which is related to it in fiqh. We said, ziyadat al-thiqa, yani, that when something is reported from a reliable source, in addition, above and beyond what other reliable reporters reported, as long as there's no contradiction between what they have reported, then it should be acceptable. This is called ziyadat al-thiqa. Actually, the topic of Ziyadat al-Thiqa, the Shaykh has only mentioned it yani, in passing here, uh, but it really is a whole topic in and of itself, Ziyadat al-Thiqa. In any case, he, just passed, he mentioned in passing, so we're just passing over. The third category after Shaz and Munkar that the Shaykh mentions, a very important category, is Mudraj. Mudraj. <coughs> Here there's also additional information, but it's not really from the Prophet Wasallam. It's something added by the reporter. An addition by a reporter to the text of the saying being narrated is termed mudraj, interpolated. And it's something that has been added, which is originally not part of the text. For example, Al-Khatib narrates by way of Abu Qattan and Shababa from Shuraba. Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi rahimahullah, then remarks concerning this hadith, the statement perform the ablution fully asbighu al-wudu is made by Abu Huraira and it's a statement of Abu Huraira not a statement of the Prophet while the statement afterwards woe to the heels from the fire is that of the Prophet and the first part of the statement is from Abu Huraira and the second part is what he heard from the Messenger of Allah the distinction between the two is understood from the narration of Al-Bukhari who translates the, transmits the same hadith and quotes Abu Huraira as saying complete the ablution for Abu Qasim 
said, woe to the heels from the fire. And in another narration of Bukhari, he, he, it becomes clear that the first statement is Abu Huraira, where Abu Huraira says, Asbihu al-wudu. Make complete your ablution. For verily I heard the Messenger of Allah saying, and I am telling you to make your wudu perfectly, because of a hadith I heard from the Prophet when he said, woe to the heels from the fire. So Abu Huraira in this narration makes it clear, he makes a distinction between his statement and the hadith of the Prophet. He says, I am saying to you, perform your wudu well. Because I heard the Prophet saying, woe to the heels from the fire. But in the first one, there's no separation between the two statements. And this is what is called mudraj. Where a statement has been added to the text of the hadith without any separation. Though it's not originally part of that hadith. Such an addition may be found in the beginning, in the middle, or at the end. Often in explanation of a term used. Yani sometimes there is a, defi- a de- definition or explanation of some expression in the hadith that requires clarification. So those words may be added for clarification. Idraj, interpolation, is mostly found in the text, in the metin of the hadith, although a few examples show that such additions are found in the isnad, the chain of narrators as well where the reporter graphs a part of one isnad to another. Yani, he's saying here that idraj, or adding something, is mostly found in the text, in the metin of the hadith, words added. But sometimes, there are some examples, there are some cases which have been shown, which have been given, which show that idraj, or adding something, may also take place in the isnad. Uh, as he says here, where the reporter graphs a part of one isnad to another. Yani, the chain of narrators, something may be added to it. Other narrators that are not a part of it uh, may be yani, added to the isnad, which are not really a part of it. And this is also called idraj in the chain of narrators. Uh, the last statement that he makes concerning this, and this is what we stop at, a reporter found to be in the habit of intentional idraj is generally unacceptable. Yani such a narrator, a rawi, who has a habit of making idraj, adding something to the text of the hadith, for whatever reason, whoever does it intentionally and is known to have a habit of doing so, is usually an unacceptable or rejected reporter and considered a liar. However, the traditionists, the scholars of hadith, are more lenient towards those reporters who may do so forgetfully or in order to explain a difficult word. Yani, it's not as severe if the person did it out of forgetfulness or if they did it for a reason to explain some expression or some word in the hadith which was the practice of Al-Zuhri, rahimahullah, one of the great scholars of the Tabi'een. In any case, Idraj, the meaning of it, it is generally related to the text where some words are mentioned uh, to clarify or to explain or whatever something that's mentioned in the hadith and it is yani, not allowed to do so but some scholars allowed it in the case where the intention behind the one who did it was just to explain some word in the hadith which was unclear so this is uh, yani, what came under this, car- this uh, classification and in the next week inshallah we'll also talk about similarly, uh, similarly rejected hadith uh, under other categories due to a defect in the narrator. Um, how much time is left? 
Okay, before we, before we take any questions, let's just look at the handout because the definitions here, inshallah, become more clear and there's also some extra commentary that uh, is important for us to be aware of. Classification of hadith according to the nature of the text in Isnad. Shaz. And note here it says, see also, mahfuz. The opposite of shaz, shaz is mahfuz. We said that a shaz hadith linguistically means infirad or the odd one in a group. Linguistically, shaz means a person who is the odd one in the group, different than the rest of the people. Technically, it means that which is narrated by a reliable, maqbool narrator, reliable, maqbool or thika, in contradiction to what is narrated by those who are more reliable than him. This is the shaz. And if that person is normally acceptable, but he contradicts someone who is more reliable than him. The error in the shaz narration may occur in the isnad, the chain, or in the metin. It may be in the isnad or in the metin. The hadith which is shaz otherwise appears to fulfill the conditions of sahih, but one of the conditions of sahih is that it shouldn't be shaz. It shouldn't yani, be reported by a, report, a, a reliable narrator contradicting somebody who's more reliable than him. If that happens, that hadith is classified as shaz and it's rejected. It will not be sahih. The ruling or hukum, it is classified as a weak hadith, a rejected hadith. Shaz is a hadith that appears to be sahih, but there's a contradiction even though it's from a reliable narrator, but there's a contradiction uh, by a more reliable narrator, and therefore we classify it as shaz, and it is rejected. The opposite of shaz is mahfuz, the preserved or correctly memorized narration, that which is narrated by a more reliable narrator in contrast to a less reliable narrator. In other words, when there's a contradiction between two hadith being narrated by reliable reporters, the one who is the less reliable one, his hadith is rejected and it's called shaz. The other narration by the more reliable one, that one is accepted and it's called mahfuz. It is the one that is preserved correctly. So both of them appear to be authentic, but one of them, because there's a contradiction, we cannot accept both of them. So the one that is more reliable is accepted, it's called mahfuz. It is the opposite of shaz. As for munkar, also it has an opposite. Munkar is the opposite of ma'roof. Linguistically, munkar means that which is rejected or repudiated, as opposed to that which is accepted. The one that's accepted is called ma'roof, and the one that is rejected is called munkar. Technically, it has been defined in a number of ways. The following are only two of those definitions. There are a number of definitions the scholars have given, but these are the two most common ones. The first is, munkar hadith is a hadith whose chain of narrators contains a narrator who makes serious mistakes. And it contains a narrator who makes serious mistakes. Fahsha al-ghalat, who makes very serious mistakes. Innumerable instances of unmindfulness. Kathratul ghafla. Because of their unmindfulness, they are not able to distinguish from what is correct and what is incorrect. Because they are not paying attention. And somebody who sits in front of the shaykh and is daydreaming, is unmindful. This condition it causes his narrations to be rejected as munkar or openly displays evil or immoral behavior zuhur al-fisq these are the three characteristics of those reporters whose hadith is rejected and called munkar the one who makes very very serious mistakes the one who is, is, is often uh, unmindful and the one who openly displays immoral or evil behavior such narrators their hadith are classified as munkar Yani they are 
weak or rejected reporters because of unmindfulness, because of serious mistakes or because of their evil behavior. The second definition is the hadith which is reported by a weak, daif narrator in contradiction to that which is reported by a reliable narrator. Okay? So we have two, two definitions here. The second one is the one that is more common, a weak narrator who contradicts somebody who is more reliable than him. This is munkar. As opposed to shad, a reliable narrator contradicts somebody who is more reliable than him. But munkar it means it's a weak narrator who is contradicted. Okay? So one of the definitions of munkar is a weak narrator who is contradicted by a more reliable reporter. Therefore, the weak one, his report is rejected. It's called the munkar. And the one who is reliable, his narration is accepted and it's called ma'roof. The other definition is hadith which is reported by a weak narrator. Yani, as, as, as Sheikh Suhaib mentioned that as late as the time of Imam Ahmed, some of the scholars classified in munkar hadith as any hadith which is reported by a weak narrator. And here we mention the reasons, the main reasons for him being classified as weak is due to his making serious mistakes in his reports or innumerable instances of unmindfulness or his open display of immoral behavior. And we said that for hadith to be accepted, the narrator should have an accurate memory and also to be of good character. So a person who openly displays evil character, he's rejected, he's not an acceptable narrator or the person who's not accurate in reporting due to making many mistakes or unmindfulness, also he's not an acceptable reporter. Uh, if the ruling concerning Munkar it is classified as the very weak hadith, Dave Jiddan. Munkar hadith is very weak. The only thing worse than it is Matruq or Mawdu'a. Yani the one that is rejected completely or the fabricated hadith. Its opposite is Ma'roof, the approved or acceptable narration. That which is narrated by a reliable thiqa narrator in contradiction to what is narrated by a weak da'if narrator. Yani the one that is narrated by, by a da'if narrator is Munkar. And the opposite is that which is accepted, the one reported by the thiqa reliable reporter it's ma'roof so the opposite of munkar is ma'roof and the opposite of shaz is mahfuz the last category that we mention here is mudraj linguistically that which has been entered into something else and joined to it and it has been attached to it without there being any separation between them this is the linguistic definition of mudraj to join something to something else technically it means the isnad or chain of narrators whose order has been changed and the, the, the order of the chain of narrators is placed out of its order. Or the metin, the text uh, which has been, which has had something added to it. Yani a text which has had something added to it, which is not a part of it without any indication of separation, without separating those two statements uh, of the text. The one that is really from the Prophet and the one that's from the narrator. If it's not separated, this is called mudraj in the text. And if the chain of narratives, the order of them is changed, or some narratives are added to it, then this is called mudraj in the isnad. Idraj may occur in the chain of narratives or in the actual text. Idraj in the text may occur at the beginning, which is seldom, or in the middle, which is even more rare, or in the end, which is the most common. And usually, the words that are added to a hadith come at the end. Usually, the narrator, after finishing narrating the hadith, he may say something from himself. And then somebody who heard it from him joins it together without separating it. This is idraj. The most common idraj in the text is at the end, although uh, sometimes it may also be in the beginning, and in the middle is the most rare. And it very seldom happens, but it's also possible to be in the middle. The reason for idraj, and the reason why it happens, is the narrator wants to clarify a legal ruling. 
So while he's narrating the hadith, he may mention something. What is the legal ruling concerning that which is mentioned in the hadith? Or he may do extraction, istinbaq, make extraction or derive a legal ruling from the hadith while he is narrating the hadith. And while he's narrating the hadith, he may derive from the hadith a legal ruling. And he may mention it. And the people who heard it from him may join it to the hadith as though it's part of the text of the hadith. Or the last reason is explanation of the meaning of a word from the actual text of the hadith. Yani defining a word or an expression whose uh, meaning might not be clear. And the narrator may define that word or explain it. And it may be taken by somebody who heard it from him along the line as being part of the hadith, joined to the hadith. And this is one of the reasons for idraj. How it is discovered? How do we know idraj? The first way it may be discovered is that the words, the added words, are reported in another, another narration separate from the text. As in the case of the hadith of Bukhari from Abu Huraira, that same hadith reported from Abu Huraira, make, make your wealth, perform your wudu well. In another narration, it was reported as separate words. That these, it was clear that these are the words of Abu Huraira. He said, perform your ablution well, for verily I heard the Prophet saying, go to the heels from the fire. Also, some of the very knowledgeable scholars declare it to be so. Yani some of the scholars, after comparing all the narrations, they may actually say that this is Idraj. This is not really from the Prophet, based on their knowledge and investigation and examination, meticulous examination of the Hadith. Some of the scholars may declare it to be Idraj. And another way is that the narrator himself may declare it to be Idraj. He may admit that this is Idraj. Yani these words are from me. These are not the words from the Prophet Or the last way, that is also a common way to discover Idraj is the impossibility of such words being the words of the Prophet Yani some words are attributed to the Prophet which when you hear it and look at the meaning of it it is impossible that the Prophet could have said such words yani we cannot attribute it to him it's not yani, uh, acceptable that he would have used such words or such an expression or said such a thing it's not proper to attribute it to the Prophet and therefore they said then this must be added by one of the narrators. The ruling concerning it is that it is forbidden to do idraj except in the case of explaining a word as the great scholar as Zuhri used to do. Okay, this is yani, the summary of the definitions and if there are any comments or questions or corrections inshallah before we go we can take them now. Now. Okay. One is no. contrast. In contrast. What we mean here is what is in Arabic is called mukhalifa. Mukhalifa. Mukhalifa means that someone says something which contradicts, is in opposition to, it is contrary to. Yes. Now, now, no, it means in contradiction. Yani it is. It also contradicts that which is reported by reliable narrative. Yani the contradiction in Munkar and the contradiction in Shad, the meaning is the same. Both of them narrate something which is opposed to that which is reported by another reporter. The only difference between Munkar and Shaz is that the contradiction in Shaz, that report which is opposed 
which is contradicted. It came originally from a reliable reporter who normally we would accept from him. But the reason why we reject it is because the person who contradicts him, who reports something opposed to what he reported, is more reliable than him. Okay, he's more reliable. Both of them are reliable, but one is more reliable. This is Shaz and Mahfuz. The Munkar, it is also contradicted. A report which is contradicted, but the one who narrated that report originally, which has been contradicted, he is the weak reporter himself. Not like in the Shaz. The Shaz reporter, he's reliable. But he made an error here in this case. But normally he's reliable. But the Munkar hadith is a person who the reporter himself is weak. He's a weak reporter. Originally he's weak. And he normally we wouldn't accept from him anyway. But now in this case, it becomes more serious. Because not only his reports are questionable since he's weak, but now here came someone who is a reliable reporter contradicting what he said. And he narrates it one way, and the reliable reporter narrates it different in contradiction to what he said, opposing what he said. Okay? So, in the Munkar hadith, the reason why it's so severely weak, is because there are two factors which make the hadith to be rejected. Number one, the reporter is weak. The fact that he's a weak reporter, we reject his hadith. But now it's even more rejected. Because the fact that he made an error is further confirmed by the fact that a good narrator came and narrated the same instance, incident in a different way than the way he narrated it. So if somebody who doesn't have a good memory brings you a report and they said, I remember two years ago such and such happened on such and such day and such and such time and you know this person doesn't have a good memory. You will be doubtful about accepting what they said. But now when somebody who has a perfect memory came to you and said, you know, I was there two years ago when this happened, and it didn't happen like that. It happened like such and such and so and so. Now, that's further reason to reject this guy. First, you were already doubtful anyway, because he doesn't have a good memory. Now, somebody who has a good memory brings to you the same report, but in contradiction to the way he reported it. So this is the Munkar Hadith. That's why Munkar Hadith is very severely weak. And it's not just weak, but it's weak, very weak. Any other comment or question? Uh, if we are talking about Islam, teaching people about Islam or teaching non-Muslims or anyway discussing Islam, uh, the hadith that's munkar and the hadith that's shad, both of them are weak hadith, both of them are rejected hadith and we cannot use them. We cannot say to people, the Prophet said for example, that after you pray the Turaqa Sunnah of Hajjah, you should lay on your right side. We should not say that, because the scholar said this hadith, it's not acceptable. It is contradicted by another narration which is stronger, which says the Prophet ﷺ used to do it. Don't say he said it, but just say the Prophet ﷺ used to do it. He used to lay on his right side after the Turaqa of Hajjah. Turaqa Sunnah of Hajjah. He used to lay on his right side. Okay, you may say it. But don't say he said do it, because the reports that he said it are considered to be contradicted, are not acceptable. But what is accepted is that it was an action of the Prophet ﷺ. So whoever does it and tells people ﷺ did it, it's correct. But if you say he said it, if you said he said it, when the hadith of him saying it is not reliable, it's not acceptable, then it's wrong to do so.
a hadith is shared, we shouldn't use it as a proof. We shouldn't say the Prophet said this or did this. If it is munkar, we shouldn't use it as a proof. We shouldn't say that the Prophet said or did something which the scholars have declared to be unaccepted or rejected. Of course, some scholars, like Al-Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani and other scholars, held the opinion that weak hadith in general, weak hadith which don't have severe weaknesses, can be used in encouraging people to do good deeds. Okay? But with conditions. The first condition, it shouldn't be used in making lawful or unlawful, halal and haram. And it should not be used in matters of aqidah. Okay? But it may be used in encouraging the people to do good deeds. That's the first condition. The second condition is that the weakness of that hadith should only be a minor weakness. Not severe weakness like hadith munkar. Hadith munkar is severe weak. Or hadith matruq. Where a person, there's a narrator who has been accused of lying. Though he's not been accused of lying on the Prophet but he's been accused of being a liar in his daily, in his daily uh, you know, interaction with the people. That hadith is severely weak. It shouldn't be used. Okay? So it should be a minor weakness. The next thing is that we shouldn't attribute it to the Prophet When we narrate a weak hadith, which only has a minor weakness, and it's not in matters of aqeedah or halal or haram, we shouldn't say the Prophet said. When we know it has been declared weak, even it has a minor weakness, but we shouldn't attribute it to the Prophet We can just say, as a saying, something related to that matter, it's good to do this or good to do that, but not say the Prophet said so. Also, we shouldn't believe, and while not attributing it to the Prophet, connected to that, is that we shouldn't believe that this is really a saying of the Prophet. We shouldn't believe so. But we should only do it out of, yani, as a way of encouragement. Yani, we know that it is a good action. But we don't know if it's really authentically reported from the Prophet ﷺ. So we might do it in order to earn some reward. But not thinking in our mind that this is confirmed as a saying or a practice of the Prophet ﷺ. And the last condition, which is very important, the scholars said, who hold this opinion, who hold this opinion, they said, that the action which is reported in that hadith, it should be uh, confirmed by other sources, by another hadith which is authentic or by something in the Qur'an. Yani the action itself should have already been confirmed in the Sharia. But maybe that hadith mentions a reward for doing a certain act. Like for example, we know that it's confirmed in the Sharia that we should pray uh, Salatul Duha, a prayer in the morning after sunrise and before Duha, any time between sunrise and Duha. Okay, it is confirmed in the Sunnah, it is confirmed in the Sharia. Maybe somebody reports a hadith that whoever prays two rakah, Salatul Duha, they will enter paradise. But when we looked, we found that hadith is da'if. You may, you may use that hadith as an encouragement to pray Salatul Duha, because Salatul Duha is confirmed. But the reward, as mentioned in the hadith, is not confirmed. So if you said to somebody, you know, you should pray Salatul Duha, it's very rewardable, it may, may be a means for you to enter paradise. Don't say the Prophet said that. But you may say as encouragement, it may be a way to help you to get to paradise. Because that action is confirmed in the Sharia. But the wording of that action with that reward is not confirmed. It's reported by Hadith Da'if. So, it should have a basis in the Sharia. 
the action itself. If it has no basis in the Sharia, we cannot do it, and we cannot call to it, and we cannot even use it for encouraging people to do good deeds. But it should be based in the Sharia already. But maybe the reward that's mentioned in that hadith is not confirmed. So we may tell people, perhaps you may get such and such reward, maybe Allah will reward you with such and such if you do this good deed, which we know is from the Sunnah. So if it's based in the Sharia already, and we don't attribute it to the Prophet and it only has a minor weakness, then we may use it for encouraging good deeds. But not in halal and haram, and not in aqidah. This is the opinion of some of the scholars, while other scholars such as Imam al-Bukhari and Muslim and other scholars held the opinion that you cannot use weak hadith in any condition or circumstance. These conditions which we mention is the opinion of one group of scholars. But there's another group of scholars who said, no, you cannot use a weak hadith at all. And some of the contemporary scholars mentioned concerning this that it is sufficient for us if we attempt to practice the authentic hadith. It is sufficient for us. There's no need to practice weak hadith. Which one of us have practiced all of the authentic hadith? So that we have a need now to go to weak hadith. Practice the authentic hadith. If you didn't finish them yet, no need to go to weak hadith. Why do we need weak hadith? We haven't used all of the authentic hadith. You see? So no need for it. Is adhan? Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.